0: Optimal Bio Podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode.
1: Hello, and welcome again to another edition of Optimal Bio Health and Wellness Podcast. Today, we are honored to have guest Mary Brian Yaffe, otherwise known as MB. Uh, She's a doctorate in physical therapy, currently working for Bodies and Balance in Eastern North Carolina. So thank you for coming today. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could just kind of walk us through your background and introduce yourself.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Um, like you said, I go by MB. I uh, grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, and always was kind of big into sports growing up. Um, I went off to Duke University for undergraduate, and um, actually had intentions of going into vet school for a little while because um, that was my big passion at the time. And I had never really thought about incorporating sports in and PT into my life before. Um, So after I graduated, my uh, middle brother actually decided that he was going to go into physical therapy um, a few years after he graduated. So that kind of piqued my interest and I decided to get a job as a tech um, in PT and pretty much fell in love with it within a few days of working. Um, so I only had a few classes that I could take at night to get uh, all the requirements for PT school since I had already done most of the um medical background with wanting to go to vet school. Um, so I worked and went to night school for about a year and then applied to uh Duke PT school again and um decided why not go back to Duke for physical therapy school. Um, And while I was doing um, work as a PT tech, I um, kind of fell upon a clinic that also worked in pelvic health physical therapy. So that was kind of how I first found out about it. Um, And then while at Duke, they had some programs that I was able to delve a little bit more into pelvic health physical therapy. Um, And so that was kind of where I decided that I wanted to do that later on. So um, I actually started at a clinic in Apex and started a pelvic health program for them in an outpatient ortho clinic. Um, And then after having my son a year ago, uh, we decided to move back to Wilmington to have family close by to help out with the baby. Uh, And I decided to join Bodies in Balance because they were looking into starting a pelvic health program as well, um, as another specialty with their clinic.
1: It's a very impressive background. And Of course, you <laughs> rifled right through it. Uh, so <laughs> let's go back in time. Let's go back to high school. Um, notice you were a soccer player. Yes. Yes. Big uh, into soccer. So back then, you know, you're in soccer, you're going to class, you know, you're socializing, you're doing all these wonderful things. And, you know, it sounded like you had some aspirations to get into the pet industry and be a veterinarian. Um What, what were, what were you thinking back then? Why, why, you know, why, why a vet?
2: Um, you know, I always, I worked at a dog kennel, uh, in high school. I was always the kid who I needed something to do. So like during my summers, I think I begged my mom at like age 15 to start working, um, which, you know, most people would have, Thought that was crazy to do, but I wanted something to do. And so I found a job um, at a dog kennel and I worked there up until I would come back for the summer from college and work there. Um, So I kind of just always fell in love with dogs. We also, um, my parents had horses uh, growing up. So we did a lot of horseback riding and um, my mom and I were big into horseback riding. So I think just having experiences taking care of horses and we had dogs and things like that, that I was like, well, this is awesome. I love animals. Why not go into that? Um, so I, I had, think I had been to PT once when I played soccer, um, in high school. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing that I get to go to PT. Um, which again, other kids were probably like, no, I don't want to go. And I thought it was amazing, but I still didn't even nothing really clicked in my head that, huh, maybe I should go into PT in the future.
1: (laughs) So you're back playing soccer. Uh, you're, I assume you played for your high school team, but you're also playing all year long. You're on what, you know, classic black or white or academy or whatever they are. I had my kids kind of go through the whole thing. And, um, I remember my son, he was, you know, had been successful as a younger kid and, um, you know, kind of uh, you know, leveled off and then excelled again. And um, but then when he got to high school, he decided he want to play football. And I'm thinking about all that investment uh, in soccer that that we made on these trips and doing all these things. But one thing I did notice back then was a lot of the kids that he played with that eventually went to college, you know, maybe one or two of them actually played all four years. And the rest of them, you know, were hurt all the time. Um, you know, and you being in the physical therapy world, you know, now and then looking back on your athletic days and what have you, um, is that a, you know, is that a, due to overuse? Is that just something that, you know, as bodies are growing, they're just not equipped to be able to handle the the pounding that goes on all the time?
2: Yeah, I do. You know, I have noticed I, one of my cousins, actually, she was a big field hockey player um, at and went to Davidson. And I think she tore her ACL three times before they finally said, you're done. Like, you can't you can't play anymore. Um, I, you know, I guess it was a blessing and a curse. My mom was very adamant that we did not do travel sports because I think she didn't want to travel. And she had, I had two older brothers. So between the three of us, she was like, I can't manage multiple s- travel schedules. Um, so we kind of, I got lucky in the fact that Every season, I played a different sport. Um, so, I, we had a, we were lucky around here. We had a surf team um, in the fall. So, I either was on the surf team or I played tennis in the fall. Um, and then during the winter, I swam. And during the spring, it was always soccer. There was no option about that. Um, and then when I went to college, I ended up joining. Uh, the club soccer team up there. And so I thankfully never had any like severe injuries, Um, never injured my knees or anything like that. And I, I do think that part of it goes without saying that it was because I trained in so many different ways for sports. So I wasn't constantly, you know, soccer 24 seven, because I think, especially soccer, gymnastics, volleyball, things like that. If you're playing that 24-7 all year round and you're not outside strength training or, you know, specifically like strengthening your rotator cuff muscles or your knee stability, um, I definitely think that puts you at a huge risk for um, injury later on just from overuse, especially going from, you know, that teenage body to an adult body.
1: Well, I will say your mom was pretty smart because, you know, (laughs) we were raising our kids. We, we wrestled with, um, just doing what your mom did. Uh, That's how I grew up. That's how my wife grew up. And, um, it also gives a kid a chance to expose themselves to, you know, different sports and what have you. Uh, you are always afraid to get off that train. Right. And, uh, and of course, some of these coaches were, you know, a little bit uh, intense, you know, when it came to, uh, you know, training and being on the team and everything else. Um, yeah. And I so so you're basically validating that there is a lot of value out there to have the body do different things um, in order to strengthen different muscles. Um, you know, Definitely. especially as the the bodies are growing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I I wish there was more. I guess, education in especially younger women, more so than the young men, just because young women are so much more prone to knee injuries and things like that with sports. Um, But it's amazing how many teenagers and things we see in our clinic, just as an orthopedic clinic right now, that are so strong overall and they they excel in their sports, yet they have a lot of weakness and a lot of instability in certain joints that are definitely going to, you know, ca- that could cause an injury later on. Um, and so I wish they kind of explained, you know, we need to be making sure we've got the stabilization before we go out on the field and, you know, you excel in a sport.
1: You made a comment earlier, Why are women, young women, more susceptible to knee injuries um, than than boys or men?
2: Um, I think I see a lot more knee injuries in younger women. A lot of young women in general do have a little bit more like hypermobility than men do, Uh, but also through the teenage years and um, as they hit puberty, the growth of their hips becoming wider than their knees causes that a little bit of increased knee valgus. Um, and that increased knee valgus, if we're not strengthening the hips, can cause a lot more stress medially on the knee. Um, and so we see more uh, like patellofemoral pain syndrome and um, or ACL, MCL type tears with sports. And a lot of it I find is just that their their position when they're squatting or they're doing certain movements on single leg stability, especially um, they haven't strengthened the hips in that new position. It's like they were strong in their prepubescent body where the hips and the knees were kind of all in line. But as we start to get those wider hips, as puberty hits, we tend to see a lot more control issues and things like that um, in teenage women and and, uh, early 20s, I would say.
1: So in that case, is the uh, treatment protocol more about strengthening the hips um, or is it more about strengthening the knees or both?
2: Well, a lot of the knee stability comes from muscles that start in the hips and kind of come down and connect into the knees. Um, So I would say big focus with that would be strengthening the hips um, and then also working on their balance and stability, um, especially with twisting type motions or whatever their sport's going to need them to do, but making sure they've got control in the quads and the hip abductors and their hamstrings because that, um, especially the quad, controls a lot of the movement of the patella.
1: Have you heard of the, uh, the knees over feet guy? No. (laughs) So he's been on Joe Rogan and, uh, a number of podcasts and his whole theory is that we, uh, you know, back in the old days, you know, you saw videos of people in, you know, gym class in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and they're you know, doing deep knee bends and doing other things, you know, that, you know, t- kind of went away, I guess, in, uh, you know, 80s, 90s, and now in the 2000s, um, because you know, there's a theory out there that, it, you know, put too much stress on the knees. And his whole theory is that, um, you know, if you're able to get your knees over your feet, um, then you're less likely to uh, have, you know, significant knee injuries. Um you know, during your adult life. And then obviously as you get older, um, you know, during your, I guess you could say your extra adult life. Um, yeah. so, uh, just kind of curious, uh, you know, from a physical therapy f- standpoint and from a training standpoint, um, you know, is it taboo still to, you know, do those deep knee bends, for example, I know we do squats, um, with weights and what have you, but, um, you know, some of the old fashioned, you know, exercising, is that coming back into vogue or is that still something that's not part of programs based on what you've seen? I don't, I
2: don't know that I've seen it much coming back. Um, but I do think there is something to say about, you know, it is a lot of squat techniques and things like that, that people don't think about, um, and can put extra stress on the knees is, uh, limited ankle mobility. Um, Most of the time people, and that may be that some of that deep knee bends was also promoting more ankle mobility, Um, but a lot of people will see limitations in squats because they can't get enough dorsiflexion um, in the ankles, and so that will kind of could potentially add increased stress to the knee because it's compensated for the lack of mobility in the ankle. Mm. Um, so there's kind of like a functional movement screen that a uh, physical therapist will look on. Um, and some are specialized in that, looking at kind of every different part and how one part of the body, like the ankle, can limit the mobility somewhere else. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'd kind of like for some of that old school aerobics to come back. Only if we wore neon clothes, but.
1: Perfect. <laughs> we'll get right into it. Um, so obviously we went off on a little bit of a tangent, but that's okay. Cause it's, yes, sorry. you know, it's all going to tie in. Uh, so now you graduate high school, you go to Duke and what are you majoring in? You know, what kind of courses are you taking? And, um, was there besides your brother, you know, was there kind of a, another moment in time where you're like, Hey, I really want to try this, this PT stuff.
2: So, yeah, I went to Duke and I was actually a biology major, um, with a specialty in marine science. And so I spent a semester out at the Duke Marine Lab in, uh, Beaufort, North Carolina, and, um, then spent a summer doing dolphin assisted therapy in Curacao, So, and then the other, another summer working at an emergency veterinary hospital and also with a equine specialty vet uh, for horses. So I kind of got a broad realm of everything. um, And I think it was kind of through all those experiences that I realized, okay, I think what the exact thing I want to go into in veterinary is going to take a really really long time. Um, cause I didn't just want to go into general practice. So after talking with everybody, all the vets around there, I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll hold off and just kind of see if anything else draws my attention. Um, so I moved up to Northern Virginia and kind of on a whim got a job in a, uh, private family owned orthotic and prosthetic clinic. Um, And they let me come work in their lab building custom orthotic and prosthetic braces, um, which was awesome. And I learned a ton with that, despite learning that I was not great with um, tools, power tools. (laughs) So I'll stay away from that. Um, But while I was there, they were really nice at kind of, they knew that I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do yet. Um, So they actually let me join in up kind of in the fitting rooms and getting patients to walk with their prosthetics for the first time. Um, and I think that was kind of when I realized like, ooh, I, I really like working with the patients and getting to see them in those first moments of getting to walk again with their prosthetic or um, if they had drop foot, getting them a brace for that and just seeing how excited they were to kind of get their life back again after everything they had been through. So I told my bosses at the time that I was, might be interested in working with patients and that I, my brother at the same time had just decided he was going to do physical therapy. Um, So they actually got me connected with a outpatient orthopedic group up in Northern Virginia um, and got me a tech job there and just said, you know, we want it, we want you to figure out what, makes you happy, um, even though we'll miss you. And pretty much within probably a month of being at the physical therapy clinic, I knew that that was kind of where I wanted to be.
1: So getting back to the, uh, your, I guess you could say your internships or your experiences in college, um, besides a human, what was your favorite mammal?
2: Oh man. That's a tough one. I would say I have a top three. It was horses, dogs, and dolphins.
1: So tell me about the dolphin experience. That seems, you know, you kind of hear stories every once in a while and you read about things where, you know, some people out there that say the dolphins are smarter than males, a man, man rather. And, um, (laughs) uh, and then obviously I've heard before about, um, you know, using dolphins for therapy. Um, So can you tell the audience a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So, um, I went down there and, um, through a contact at UNCW, I, uh, growing up being a big horse person, my mom and I had volunteered a lot, um, with a therapeutic riding group in Wilmington, coastal therapeutic riding. Um, and actually through one of the clients there, their parent worked at UNCW as a biologist and she had contacts down at the, um, Dolphin Therapy Center. So I had told her my interest in vets, um, but she also knew that I had done a lot of work um, with horse therapy, equine therapy a lot. Uh, So she was able to get me an internship down there. And while there, I was able to also shadow the um, marine animal vet who worked with all the dolphins and other marine life at the um, aquarium there. So while I was there, they used dolphins to basically kind of communicate with children and adults, um, with ranging from lesser handicaps to more severe handicaps. Um, some were verbal, some were nonverbal, uh, but it was really cool to see how they, all the different ways they got these kids to engage, um, and kind of, For the kids and the adults, it was, oh, this is fun. Um, But at the time, I don't think I realized it as much. And now looking back at it, I realize everything they did had a common goal, whether it be physical, like they were trying to get um, more extension of the spine in one of the patients, or um, they were trying to get them to use their fine motor skills, Or they were trying to get them to use communication, whether that be verbally or um, sign language or pointing to a card type of thing. Um, So I think that kind of was a little bit of a lead in to realizing that "Hmm, maybe I did want to work more with people than the animals. Um, So it was kind of a good realization that like I really loved the animal stuff, but I was also really good at working with people too. Um, so that was kind of a cool experience to see. They, it was also, uh, they didn't speak much English. Most of it was Dutch. So that was an ex a good experience for me kind of having to learn how to communicate other ways when I didn't really know the language as well.
1: So Um, why Dutch?
2: Uh, they are a, uh, Dutch, the Antilles Netherlands, like colony, I guess is what you call it. Um, so yeah, Curacao was actually like a Dutch.
1: Oh, okay. Nation. I'm thinking, okay, got it. So, I understand. So that's where you went. Yeah. Wow. That must have yes, been a cool yes, experience. Yes, that's Just, where I went. Okay. Got it. So what was it like living overseas yeah. for that, for that time frame?
2: Oh, I mean, as a college kid, I was like, this is awesome. Um, yeah, I think it was kind of one of the first times, I think most of the other summers I had come back home. So that was kind of the first time that I was off on my own. And besides college, had my own schedule. And um, it was it was a blast. I mean, I spent most of my free time scuba diving or snorkeling every afternoon. And in my free time, I got to play with dolphins. So I really can't complain. <laughs>
1: I mean, it sounds like a phenomenal experience and, you know, you growing up yeah. in North Carolina, then going to school in North Carolina, um, and then having, and then going someplace else that must've been, you know, you know, a very unique experience for you. Um,
2: yeah, definitely.
1: I also think it's good. I'm in this internship program, uh, with our local high school up here and, you know, we try to teach entrepreneurship and we're also, um, you know, trying to get some of these kids into jobs over the summer. And, and, you know, a lot of them want to be, of course, doctors at this point in time when they're in high school and lawyers, and you know, all the other you know perceived fun stuff, right? That are great careers. Yeah. Yet they're not <laughs> willing to, you know, go get a marketing job, for example. Or they're not willing to, you know, maybe check out healthcare, you know, per se. And you know, based on just listening to your background right mm-hmm. now, you know, you're sharing all these different experiences you had, you know, through high school and then through college, which then. Allowed you to eliminate opportunities that you know you thought you might want it but you didn't want, and brought you into other opportunities that eventually you know formed your path. So, if you were talking to a high school yeah. kid today, you know what advice would you give them?
2: I would definitely say, I mean, I was very lucky in that uh, Duke had some programs, so my internship in at uh, with the dolphin therapy was all unpaid. Um, I actually paid my lodging while I was there. So it was kind of like I paid to go, but I got the experience. Um, And, you know, I think part of it, too, is I I worked at the dog kennel throughout high school to save up money. I worked um, actually at the Duke had a canine cognition center um, on campus. So I worked there doing working with dogs and data collection Uh, during my free time between classes. So I think, you know, I was always working to save up for those opportunities. Um, And so the dolphin therapy was unpaid. Then the following summer with the vet hospital and the equine vet, Duke had a scholarship for the summer if you wanted to do um, an internship in a field that you thought you might like to work in. Um, So that was kind of how I picked that. And I think Honestly, that I probably would have gone that route had I not had the experience I did and gotten to talk to some of the doctors that I did. Um, I kind of always knew growing up that I wanted a family and that family time was important to me. Um, and after talking to a lot of the surgeons, I think that was, especially the female surgeons, that was a big thing that they kind of had to give up um, going into. Veterinary medicine was having children later and not getting to be home as much with the kids. Um, So I think that was one of the big reasons. And I'm glad I knew that going into it ahead of time um, because, you know, four years into vet school, that would have really been unfortunate if all of a sudden I realized, huh, I'm not going to be able to have a kid for a while or spend time with them type of thing.
1: (laughs) Right. And also, too, I mean, you had said it earlier, uh, you chose to help patients out um, as opposed to animal patients. And I assume that's because you like the interaction with the with the patient and it's a little bit harder to do when you're, you know, dealing with the animal. Is that true?
2: Yeah. I think looking back, I would have probably gone crazy not having like real people to talk to.
1: <laughs> so, you know, at the time when you were up in Northern Virginia, what types of patients are coming in for... Um, these fittings, you know, are they accident victims or is it all walks of life? Is it, you know, born it with was deformities? All
2: walks of life. I would say, you know, unfortunately, probably the majority of them were um, diabetes or some health complication that um, they lost, had, you know, had to have an amputation or something because of a medical complication. Um, we did see quite a few people with like foot drop and things like that. Um, my clinic actually saw, uh, the cranial helmets for babies. Um, so that was kind of fun getting to see, you know, the, when the babies would come in and you would get to see them in their little helmets and learn how to fit that and scan everything, um, to kind of see the shape of their head. Um, and then we had a few children who needed braces, um, for ankle alignment, or things like that growing up. Um, But I think the ones I remember the most, especially with the prosthetics, were probably more, you know, medical complications from diabetes or poor circulation or something like that.
1: Yeah, there's a friend of mine who was telling me the other day that, um, I think he has a two or three-year-old and they bought, the kid's perfectly healthy, but they bought him a helmet because he keeps banging his head all the time. And I kind of was thinking to myself, I'm, was it, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Um, obviously, you don't want, you know, the child to keep banging his head and get stitches and all that stuff. But the flip side, having that helmet on at that age, is that going to, you know, create more of a fearless attitude? And, you know, so I'm, I was kind of mixed on that. Um, but you just so reminded my, me. my
2: mom my mom got my son a helmet. He's 14 months. Um, and it's like just a soft padded helmet. Um, and we would play in the playroom and we'd put pillows down on the floor and he would, you know, flip off the couch forward. And we had all these climbing foam blocks and all this stuff that he could climb on. And we realized after a while that then he'd go to other people's houses who did not have pillows and nice soft things and he would dive off the couch head first. So I do agree that I'm, you know- so we you're are a helmet this, proponent. Like, you know, I I am a proponent of the helmet when other people are watching him because I know they're scared of the things he will do. However, when we are around- we try to work on let's get off the couch with your feet first and not nosedive because, you know, over at the neighbor's house, it might be a concrete floor instead of a giant, you know, pile of pillows in our house.
1: <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so, so I agree
2: to the helmet thing. I, I don't right, know if I'd like it or not yet.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> eventually you get back to Duke to go get your doctorate and, um, now you're graduated, you're in the physical therapy world and you kind of have a couple of stints and then eventually you land at, uh, bodies in balance, um, as you're going through your work progression, uh, are you figuring out on your end, ideally what you like to focus on or are you still, you know, going through basically a general physical therapy, um, model?
2: I, I'm still going, I would say I figured out what I like to focus on. Um, but I also figured out that I like to kind of see multiple things. Um, so I'm lucky enough right where I am that I get to see both orthopedics and pelvic health. Um, and I think that's kind of a nice mix because you know, you don't get bored with one versus the other. So I, you know it might be that i see five or six pelvic health one day but then the next day i see one or two um and i see all ages you know as young as seven or eight all the way up to oh gosh i think my oldest patient was like 98 um and so i definitely think i i have a gravity towards the pelvic health um, especially being a mom myself, I really like working with that postpartum um 20, 30, 40-year-old age group after they've had kids and they want to get back to working out um or just playing with their kids. I think that resonates with me the most because I can kind of connect with them on a personal level as well as a PT level. Um, but I also love Orthopedics and seeing kids, and um, just kind of educating people on how just a little bit of strengthening or focusing on this certain thing or a little bit of stretching can make such a big difference um, in their lives. So, I kind of like doing both. I'm still open. I'm still kind of at the point where I'm, I learn a lot every week from my coworkers and just adding into my, the realm of knowledge I have. Um, so I would stay, I'm still learning somewhat, but I do have kind of my niche that I like to treat more and every now and then I'll dabble in other things.
1: (laughs) Well, I was intrigued about the, the postpartum pelvic health, you know, and obviously I had never heard of it before, to be honest with you. And, and, you know, when my wife was having our kids, um, you know, it, I don't think any, she and nor did anybody else, you know, go get physical therapy afterwards. So is this something new or is there something that's going on, you know, during a pregnancy or after birth um, that requires physical therapy? So uh, if you could educate the audience, uh, I would appreciate it. I just, something new and I'm intrigued by it.
2: Yeah, I definitely think it's something like, it's definitely something newer. Um, It's been around for probably 15, 20 years, but that was like a few people in, you know, all the U.S. There wasn't a big, you know, choice to pick from. Um, And most of the time people, it's still not being referred out to physical therapy as much as it should be. Um, I would say the majority of my patients I see now, especially postpartum, they have learned from it, learned from a friend or from the internet or from Facebook, somewhere they've heard about pelvic PT or a friend had it and they look into it and they're like, wow, why, why haven't I done this? Like, I, I didn't know that was a thing. And that's when they start to reach out, um, and they find us or another provider, um, or they'll go to their doctor and they'll Bring it up, and the doctors say, "Oh, yeah, we can give you a referral to PT." Um, so I do think it's still not as readily available to people, um, especially if you don't know anything about it. Uh, so we're trying to get the education out there, and you know, talking to the OBs and um, gynecologists and primary care physicians, even pediatricians, so that if a mom brings it up at a at their ch- children's visit. Um, that they know there is help out there. And I think it's hard too because in that postpartum period, and I'm sure your wife knows too, you're on the back burner. The last thing we're thinking about is healing ourselves or doing something for ourselves when you've got, you know, I I only have one and I'm still on the back burner, so I can't imagine having three or four or more. Um, So I think that's a big thing too is, not only educating moms on it, but also making it easily accessible to them. Um, So I encourage parents that, you know, if you need to bring the baby with you because you're nursing or the kids have school, bring them. We will figure out, we will work around it um, because it's, you know, you need to take care of yourself somewhat. Um, So I think it's slowly getting more and more out in the community, but I still wouldn't say that it's super, you know, doctors and things like that aren't referring as much as I would hope they would. Um,
1: so what are the reasons to do it? And then what are the benefits of doing it?
2: Yeah. Um, so the main reasons to do it, uh, are one, I, I tell people, you know, there's nothing wrong with just doing one session after giving birth and having the PT check that everything is functioning right, um, that your core muscles are working right, that your hips aren't having any pain, um, that you're lifting, picking up the baby and nursing the right way to prevent back pain and neck pain, um, later on. And then I think if you're actively having, um, urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence or uh, pain with intercourse from your scar. Those are all things that definitely, you know, would call for a visit to the doctor or um for a referral to PT or coming to the physical therapist uh directly. Um and then the benefits of uh physical therapy are like we said getting those muscles working again if you you know if they cut open your bicep and took out a tennis ball out of your bicep, you wouldn't just go back to doing your normal activities six weeks later. Like that's not how the rest of our body is taken care of. We don't just have knee surgery and do nothing about it. Um, yes, we rest, but then we do PT. Do you have so a So just more...
1: For C-section patients, or is it more for both vag- vaginal and C-section? No,
2: everybody um, vaginal bursts and C-section. A lot of um, vaginal births will result in some type of tearing. Um, whether there's different degrees of tearing that can affect just the superficial um, vaginal muscles, or can go all the way into the um, anal sphincter, and you know sometimes an episiotomy will will be done where they'll actually cut the muscles. So, you know, we always like to help in those situations because again, if you have surgery, most of the time you have some work done on the scar afterwards, or you, you know, most people will put moderna or some type of cream or something on their scar to make it look better and and feel better. Same thing goes for, you know, we need to take care of that scar tissue um, around the vaginal tissue and the rectal tissue as well so that uh, we don't end up with issues down the line from that scar being tight or having restrictions and things like that, because that can also play into are you getting as good of, of uh, pelvic floor contraction and strength in those muscles um, later on, if you have a tight scar or things like that, or there's pain because of the scar. Um, and then definitely with a C-section scar since they're cutting through your abdominal muscles. Right. Um, that's a huge one where I would definitely encourage people to come to physical therapy just to, one, prevent that scar from forming adhesions and causing pain later on, as well as getting your core back to working because your core is such an important part of the body that a lot of people I don't they think of just their abs, but the core plays a huge role um, in back pain hip pain, and even the pelvic floor um, and incontinence and things like that.
1: It's, it's fascinating. It's interesting. And is there a time frame <laughs> post-birth where it becomes beneficial to do that? Because you have to give the body time to heal, I right? Usually,
2: yeah, I usually, um, for the most part, I will tell people, wait until your six-week um, postpartum appointment just to have them check your scar and um, if there's any bleeding still happening or you're having any other concerns after the birth. Because again, it's like with, you know, post-op knee surgery. Some surgeries, they want you moving at least a little bit right away, but most of them, you're not going to do heavy, intense stuff until four to six weeks um, after surgery. And I also tell people, you know, those first six weeks of having a baby are really hard. You're exhausted. Um, You're sore. You're trying to figure out how to keep another human life alive while also keeping yourself fed and alive. Um, And so I just don't think it's worth the stress of trying to start that until you've had a little bit of recovery. But I always tell my patients, if at four weeks or at a certain amount of time, if you feel like I really need to do something, I need to get back into some type of exercise, there are things that we can be working on, really focusing on breathing mechanics and just gentle activation of those muscles. So you're, you're not going to come in and we're not going to go do squats or heavy lifting, but there is stuff that we can be working on early on, um, so I will have some patients who come to me before they deliver, like a month before delivery. And we kind of go over things that are safe to do for the last month of pregnancy, as well as things that they can do in those you know, first six weeks when they start feeling better. But generally, I like to wait till the six-week mark to really check the pelvic floor muscles or anything like that once they're cleared by the doctor
1: that's no, great It um, sounds like you'll uh won't have any um lack of demand um <laughs> hopefully hopefully people hopefully. continue to have kids and families and all that wonderful stuff um in your experience so far uh we at autombio you know have seen that it seems in red obviously and i think everybody knows this that it seems like the population is becoming sicker and sicker you know, we're yeah. not getting healthier as an overall population. A lot of chronic disease, for example, um, you know, a lot of, you know, I don't know, a lot of things, I guess. And, yeah. uh, you know, our goal at Optimal Bio, obviously, through hormone replacement therapy is is to get you balanced, to get you hopefully this baseline of health, which then hopefully, you know, allows you to, to not be as susceptible, you know, to, you know, some of these, you know. Common ailments that are out there at this point in time, you know, from your experience and you know through the years of treating patients, uh, are you kind of seeing the same thing? And, and if so, you know, what's a what? What are you seeing more of these days?
2: I think we do see a lot of um, like chronic pain type things, and I think especially in our older population, it's a little bit more challenging treating because I think back, you know, when they were in their twenties and thirties and forties, even people didn't go to physical therapy as much. Um, so I think there were a lot of previous injuries that happened that were never treated. Um, and so now it's like, okay, I re-injured this shoulder, but you know, I, I, injured it when I was 25 playing football and just left it. Because at 25, you know, the pain kind of went away and I could still do the things I wanted to do because I wasn't a professional football player. But now as you're getting older and older and, you know, kind of the saying, use it or lose it, it's, you know, kind of true with the body too. It's like if you're not having to reach up overhead anymore or you just kind of stopped doing that because you could get your husband or your kid to do it for you. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, you start to lose motion in joints and then it's just one thing after another. Um, So I definitely see in our older population and probably I would say starting like late 40s, early 50s, I've seen some as young as that where um, they've got a lot more chronic issues and it was kind of like, well... 10 years ago this happened and then ever since then things keep piling on because this happened so I stopped playing tennis and then I really stopped exercising and it's kind of like one thing after another and now 10 years later they want to start working on it and that's really hard you know 10 years of decline is gonna it's a lot harder to get back um in terms of how much effort and work you're going to have to put into it. So I definitely think we see that more.
1: Yeah. And you bring up a couple of interesting points. One, you know, as you're, you, in a way it's good because your body adapts. Um, I remember my father-in-law, um, he had difficulty, you know, being able to literally turn the keys to start his car. You know, he had Mm -hmm. grip issues and he had some arthritis and what have you. So he ended up bringing a pair of pliers into the car to do it, you know? And, (laughs) But as your as the body's doing less and less of what it's supposed to be doing, when other people that are are helping in that regard, they there's no really way back, you know, down the road. And from a physical therapy standpoint, and hopefully you can enlighten me a little bit on this too. It just seems like you always have to go through a, a primary care or an orthopedist to be able to get a PT referral. And I, I maybe it just isn't happening anymore. But I broke my ankle a few years ago, and you know, I had to get PT through my ortho and I'm thinking it'd be so much easier if you simply could just go contact the PT, not have to worry about insurance and just basically go get fixed, get that shoulder fixed, you know, when you're 25 years old, as opposed to going through the gauntlet to, to get to the PT world. So, um, is that still the same? I mean, is it like that still?
2: No. So, well, yes and no. To some extent, um, certain. it depends on the insurance. For the most part, a lot of insurances, um, at least for the younger, you know, non-Medicare, most insurances, um, we have what there's, it's called direct access. And you can just go to PT um, without a referral and be seen for an injury or, you know, you pulled your back the other night and you're having a lot of pain, um, it, especially for people who know like, oh, I've done this before. This is what it feels like. I just, I went to PT last time. It helped. I'm good to go. Um, and then obviously when you come to PT, we're going to look at that and say, eh, I think maybe we need to refer out to orthopedics and get an X-ray or an MRI or something, um, just to make sure because this doesn't seem like just a ankle sprain or something like that. Um, and so that was kind of the switch between uh, the physical therapy being a master's versus a doctorate was they added a year to help um, train physical therapists to be able to kind of identify those red flags so that people could come straight to PT rather than going to orthopedics or your primary care to have to get a referral. Um, so now there's things we look for and say, mm. I think we need to refer out to the doctor for this, um, rather than just treat it with only PT. Um, so, however, with that being said, Medicare requires a referral, um, and most of the time, to get that, you have to go see the doctor. So, I do think it's, you know, it's kind of hard because we're putting that group of people who probably need m- more care at a disadvantage because you know, they've got to get to the doctor or get that referral. And it's a lot of work leading up to it, which probably is why they wait so long until it's so bad to come in. Um, And then I think people who have had PT before in that population are much more likely, they know the drill and they're like, "Mm, I'm not going to wait on this. I'm going to call my doctor, get the referral, go to PT because I know it can help. So I think we see two sides of that, but I definitely think getting in that first time, um, some insurances make it harder than others in that you have to go get that referral before you can come to PT.
1: So we still can't avoid insurance, right? We can't do a cash pay? No.
2: <laughs> there, there are self-pay options, and nowadays there's a lot more cash pay PT clinics, um, but then you run into the issue of, you know, people don't want to pay that much when they are paying for insurance to help out. So I don't think we're ever going to win the insurance battle right now.
1: No, that's another (laughs) podcast discussion down the road. Um, So tell us a little bit about Bodies in Balance.
2: Um, Bodies in Balance, we've got three clinics now. Um, One in Wilmington. We just um, opened a new one in Leland uh, this past summer. And then we've got an office in Hampstead. And um, we treat a ton of different specialties. So pelvic health was just kind of an addition on. Um, And when I joined, we started training a few other physical therapists as well. Um, So we have one at every, at least one at every office now. Um, And we treat orthopedics, uh, vestibular therapy, um, lymphedema and cancer-related therapy. So we've kind of got nice specialties from all different places um, that are really helpful because then if a patient comes in and they're, you know, we're trying to treat their shoulder and they lay down on the table and complain of dizziness or vertigo, I've got someone, you know, across the hall who can treat that as well so that it's not, you know, we're not having, you're not having to send them to another person and then come back. And so it's kind of nice having all those specialties because we can kind of work together as a team and figure out, okay, well, this person, you know, we need to address this as well as the shoulder pain. Um, and uh, so it's kind of nice having all those different things. And I get to learn more than just my pelvic health realm. Um, but yeah, we we see patients uh, one-on-one for hour evals and 40-minute follow-up treatments. And I think that's really important For both orthopedics and vestibular therapy, but especially for the pelvic health, Um, just because a lot of what we do with pelvic health um, is so personal that it's, you know, trying to manage three patients at a time while also talking to a mom about, you know, her urinary incontinence out in an open gym just wouldn't be feasible. Um, So I think that was one of the big things that drew me Two Bodies in Balance was um, that one-on-one treatment and having that much time with my patients. And I think those patients who have been to other outpatient clinics where they see multiple people at a time realize how nice it is to be able to have one-on-one attention um, and just kind of the privacy to talk about everything that they want to.
1: Well, it sounds like a very vibrant and growing practice and you're doing good work. Um, To conclude, (laughs) we always ask our guests to leave us with, you know, a minimum of three, but sometimes five, you know, takeaways, you know, life experiences, you know, things that um, tips um, on life or, you know, best Netflix show or whatever it is. Right. So, you know, if you're going to partake your wisdom on our audience, um, you know, what would be your takeaways?
2: Oh, man. Probably my top would be... um, to definitely, you know, find the job that you are really passionate about. Um, I think so many people are so focused on what's the job that's going to make the most money, especially when we're younger, you know, high school, college years, we're like, I want to be a lawyer because then I can make a lot of money. Um, and I think that especially now having my first son and hopefully more children, I realize the importance of being able to spend time with my family. Um, And I think that's one thing with physical therapy that, and the clinics I've chosen that I've been really lucky about is um, picking the hours that I work and the time so that I can spend the time with my son in the afternoons and get him from school or um, have one day off during the week that I can pick him up early and go do things So I think that's an important thing is finding the job that, you know, you're passionate about and kind of the overall picture, you know, is money really going to solve all your problems or is spending time with your family? So what's important to you? Um, Probably number two, and this is just my pelvic PT side is any mother, um, please go to a pelvic PT. If you're having... Any issues during pregnancy or postpartum, um, because you will learn so much um, that you didn't even know could be an issue later on in life. And I think it, we can prevent so much um, later on in life uh, of muscle atrophy and just you know pelvic issues in general um, that can end up being embarrassing that we could have prevented with you know, just a few sessions of PT right after you had the baby and things you can do going later on in life. Um, and then three, oh, probably my number three would be to do things, you know, do things that scare you. Don't always say no every now and then just say yes and go with it. Um, I think that was one of these things with the podcast is the thought of doing a podcast and talking in front of people, even though I do it all day long. um, I'm glad I didn't know that I was going to be on camera until today, because I think I would have, you know, hyped myself up about that. Um, But, you know, after the fact, it's like, I love getting to educate people on pelvic health and physical therapy and things like that. So I would have, you know, we missed out on a lot of opportunities because, It's too much work or we're scared of it um, or it makes us uncomfortable. And I think that's, you know, something I've learned in the PT realm, uh, especially is, you know, I'll see a patient, I'll, I'll have a patient on my schedule and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never, I don't know that I've ever treated this before. And I'm like, I don't, can someone else see this patient? And then it ends up being a great experience. And I've learned a ton because I had to go do some research on that type of patient. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. Take, take the chance or, you know, do something once a week that makes you uncomfortable.
1: Great advice. And by the way, did it turn out okay, this podcast?
2: Yeah, it turned out great.
1: <laughs> did you have fun?
2: I did have fun.
1: Good. Well, I was only a, lo- a
2: little nervous in the beginning, but
1: then well, it got better. You can't tell. And you gave a lot of great information today. And, um, you know, I love your three takeaways. Um, and it's good that at your age, uh, you know, somebody once told me a long time ago, you know, I had my own company for a long time and you know, every, the whole focus was always on, you know, strategy and business plans and things like that. And finally somebody said to me, what's your life plan? You know, and thankfully I had a life plan and, and I tell everybody today, you know, whatever your life plan is, fit your business into the life plan. Um, because at the end of the day, when you go, no one's going to remember what you did in business. You know, everybody's going to remember what you did in the community and your family and everything else. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, MB, thank you uh, for your time today and best of luck to your thank family you guys and for having me. Ho- hopefully your little guy will, uh, you know, uh, be careful when he's a daredevil and, um, huh. hopefully we'll have you back sometime. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO, Tyler Brandon, podcast host and partner, Jim Baker, medical director, Greg Brannan. Production assistance by Core Media. Beth Grabencourt, administrator. Kevin Duthu, executive producer. The podcast can be found on our website, optimalbio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound.